You know, we're in this series called One Change, and through this series, we've been looking at making some positive changes to transform our lives for the better. And we've been using these signs as analogies of making changes that may be in places where you need to stop doing something or to turn around or take a detour to warn you that you're going the wrong way or maybe that you need to get back on the path again. And through this series, we've been really focusing on a couple of different areas of health, things like our physical health, our spiritual health, our mental health, our financial health, our emotional health. And so today I want to take us into the next realm, which is our relational health. And specifically this morning, I'd like to target our approach and look specifically at how to face the fears that ruin our relationships. And if we're really honest with ourselves, there are fears inside of every single one of us that have the potential to damage our relationships, not just with one another, but with God as well. And so in order to do this, I want to use a certain passage in scripture. I want to take a look at where we could find a relationship that happened in scripture. And I wanted to go all the way back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, to the very first one that we see in Adam and Eve and see kind of what happened in their life and their interactions that coexist with where we are today in our relationships with one another. You all know the story. God created the world and he created the earth and everything in it, the birds, the trees, the bees, the mountains, all of it, right? He created everything and he stood back and he looked at it and said, it was good. But as he looked at it, he said, you know what? I'm not quite finished yet. I could do better. And so something was still missing. So he stoops down and he grabs the dust and the dirt of the earth and he forms it and he shapes it up and he breathes life into it. And out comes man, out comes Adam. And God steps back once again and looks and says, it's very good. Powerful. It's very good. By the way, guys, I think this is why we love playing in the mud so much because it's exactly where we come from. And I know it's true because I saw you all at that mulch yesterday, right? You're like, yeah, like dirt fights. Um, but God looks at it and says that it was good, that man has become very good. So he takes man and places him in this perfect paradise, this oasis, this garden of Eden. And Adam has everything he could ever possibly imagine inside of the garden. But as time goes on, Adam gets sad. Man looks around and realizes that everything around him has a companion, has a mate, but him. So he becomes lonely. So God puts him to sleep. And while he's in this deep sleep, God pulls out from his rib and makes woman, makes a companion, makes a helper. And there's so much symbolism and significance in this. God didn't pull woman from the feet of uh, from Adam so he would lord over her and walk over her. He didn't pull her from his head so she would lord over him. No, it came from a rib close to his heart to symbolize she's to be deeply loved, to be respected, to be valued, to be seen as a helper, as a partner, as a co-conspirator in life and in this relationship. So God pulls out this rib and he makes woman because once again, he looked and said, I could do better, right? And so he makes woman and then he wakes Adam back up. And I can just imagine Adam's response, right? Everything had been kind of peaceful. He had seen animals and he opens his eyes and there's something new, right? There's Eve in her full glory. And I can just like, how does he respond to that? Like, what does he do? I imagine him waking up and being like, oh, whoa, man, whoa, man, woman, woman, woman. I will call you woman, right? Of course, that's how woman came to be. We all know that's the truth, right? 
So Adam and Eve, they join in this relationship and things go great for a long, long time because there's no sin. There's no manipulation. There's no fighting. There's no arguing. There's no jealousy. There's no coveting. None of that exists. Everything is perfect in this relationship. But if you know anything about this story, that's not where it ends, unfortunately. The serpent, Satan, comes up to Eve in the garden and says to her, didn't God say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And of course, we know that this isn't the truth. God said you couldn't eat from one of the trees in the garden. And it wasn't that it was bad for them. It's to give them an opportunity to make a choice whether or not to believe in him, to have a relationship with God, to show obedience with him. But Satan didn't like that answer. So he spun it in his own crafty way saying, no, 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 God didn't say that you would die if you eat this because it's poisonous or bad for you. He's trying to mislead you so you don't know the truth. That if you eat of this fruit, you will gain knowledge. You will gain wisdom. You will gain power. You will become like God. You see, folks, that's what's at the root of every single sin. That if you do this, you will become like God. No, it's never that you'll become like Satan. You never hear him say, do this and be more like me. No, we'd be like, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, right? It's to become like God because he spins this lie in our heads that says God is some far off distant figure who's unrelated to us, who doesn't know what truly makes us happy. You see, we know ourselves best. We know what we need. We know what we want. We know what makes us happy. So we should be the gods of our own lives. And he spun this lie to Eve and Eve bought it. Eve dived into it. So let's pick up this story to see what happens from this point on. In Genesis 3, starting about verse 6, says this. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then, some of, uh, she, then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is where shame enters into the world. This is where fear, there'd never been shame or guilt or fear, or any of it. This is the first model we see of it. The story continues on and says this, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? See, once again, fear exists in this relationship. Adam is afraid of what's going to happen. Continuing on, the man replied and said, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. So then the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? Well, the serpent deceived me. She replied, That's why I ate it. Skipping ahead a little bit to verse 16 says, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. You see, this is where sin breaks apart this perfect relationship that because of the disobedience, because they made the wrong decision, this relationship is now broken. And part of that brokenness is in pregnancy and as in childbirth. 
And if any of you are mothers in here, you can attest to this verse, right? You know what it's talking about. You can thank Eve for that pain and that suffering that you feel. But he says that this is the reality of the consequences of your decision, that brokenness now exists, not just in your physical relationship with yourself, but even in your relationship with others, that you're going to have these desires to lord over other people. It's a broken dynamic. Picking back up says, and and to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made? For you were made from dust and to dust you will return. What a powerful story. This story is full of so many spiritual truths, but I want to look this morning specifically at the relational truths, because in this story, we really see three basic fundamental fears that existed inside of this relationship. And these fears were developed in this partnership between Adam and Eve. And we need to notice they're still present today in our own lives. And if we don't identify these fears, if we don't work through them, they have the potential of ruining our relationships with one another. So let's identify those fears this morning. If you take a look at your outlines, we're going to jump straight into it. The first basic fear that we see is the fear of exposure. The fear of exposure. And this fear of exposure, it makes me distant with one another. Because the truth is, folks, that there are parts about you that you don't like about yourself. And because you don't like it about yourself, there's no way you would ever want anybody else to see that part of you. So you'll do whatever it takes to distance yourself from people in that regard. Because if you truly let them in, if you let them get close, they're going to see your warts, your zits, your blemishes, your failures, your mistakes, your shortcomings, your faults. They're going to see it all. And it makes us nervous. It makes us nervous that we may not be accepted for who we truly are on the inside. So it's easier for us to push people away in kind of a highest distance away from them. And we see this happening in our story. In verses 9 and 10 of Genesis 3, it says, Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. You see, God really said two things here. Where are you? And why are you hiding? But the interesting thing to note is that when God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. It's not for his benefit. It's for yours. And this is for Adam's benefit. He was giving Adam a chance to own up to the fact that he was in the wrong, that something was out of place, that something wasn't as it should be, that he had become afraid of his exposure and was now keeping himself at a distance away from God. But God didn't want him to do this. God wanted him to be reconciled to this. And the point that we learn from this story right now is that if you want any true transformation to happen in your life, any true change to take place in any part of your life, including relationships, it all starts with owning up to the fact that things aren't as they should be. I mean, as long as you're living your marriage or your relationship with the other, thinking that everything is just fine, nothing will get better with your work relationships, with your family members, with your coworkers, that dynamic, that relationship that you have, if everything is just fine and okay, nothing's going to change. You see, because you're living in denial. 
And as long as you're in denial, there's no recovery. There's no recovery. There's no transformation that can take place in your relationships. So it all starts with being honest with God and being honest with yourself that things aren't as they should be in your relationships. There's two other things I want to point our attention to before we move on to the next sphere. And the first one is the phrase, I hid because I was afraid. I hid because I was afraid. You see, fear always causes us to hide. And I wonder what is it that you're hiding from this morning because of fear? What is it that you're hiding from in your relationships or in your marriage because you're afraid to face the truth? Or what is it that you're pretending not to know about yourself because you don't want to have to deal with it? You see, these fears have the power to eat us from the inside out. And God says, when it comes to your fears, I don't want you to fake it in front of other people. I want you to face it, face it head on and own up to the fact that things aren't as they should be. The second thing I want to draw your attention to is the phrase, I was naked. And this phrase is so powerful because it's more than just a physical nakedness here. It's an emotional nakedness too. Because if you think about it, what does it mean to be naked? It's to be exposed, to be vulnerable, to be unprotected. You're never more vulnerable than when you're naked because you're just out in the open for the world to see with no protection your way. And when you're afraid to be vulnerable, when you're afraid to be exposed, to be honest, to be open with other people, you push them away. And you try to cover yourself up. You try to hide yourself away from people because you don't want them to see the real you. See, the deepest desire of man in our life is that we would be loved, that we would be accepted, that people would truly see us for who we are. But one of our greatest fears is that people will reject us when they find out what's on the inside. And it causes us to put distance in our relationships with one another. It causes us to have this disconnect between each other and with God. And this fear, it can ruin our relationships. And there are really three stages to this fear of exposure I'm going to look at. It's not on your outline, but you can write it off on the side if you want. The first stage in the fear of exposure is this. It's shame. The first stage of the fear of exposure is shame. You see, shame is often found in the midst of our fear. In scripture, it said they suddenly became ashamed of their nakedness. You see, being ashamed means that you've become self-conscious. And when you're self-conscious, it means you've become nervous that other people might see your faults. They might see what's really going on. And so you become embarrassed. And when you're embarrassed, you will do whatever it takes to avoid that embarrassment in your life. And that leads you to the next stage, which is the cover-up. Second stage is the cover-up, where once you're ashamed, once you feel self-conscious, once all these things are happening and you're nervous, you will do whatever it takes to make it look like it doesn't exist in your life. And we see that in scripture. It says, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen a fig leaf, they're pretty small, right? And it's so a couple of them together to cover themselves up. But today we don't use fig leaves. We have more sophisticated ways of covering up our shame. For me, if I'm being honest, it's humor. I like to use humor to misdirect the situation, to get people to laugh, to make light of the situation instead of facing that fear head on. And maybe that's you. Maybe for some of you, it's the appearance that you have it all together. You drive the right car, you have the right house, the right job, the right family, you wear the right clothes, the right hairstyle, whatever it may be. On the outside, it looks like everything is perfect. But on the inside, it's not. 
And we know this is true because just look at people's social media. Just look at Facebook. Just look at Instagram. Looking at these profiles, life is this glorious, glamorous lifestyle, right? Who wouldn't want to date them? Who wouldn't want to be with them? Who wouldn't want to marry this person? Because life with them would be an adventure. But what happens when the cameras aren't there? It's loneliness. There's emptiness. There's shame. There's guilt. There's all of these things that people are trying to cover up so the world won't see what's truly on the inside. And once you feel that shame, and once you start covering yourself up, the third stage is to distance ourselves. We distance ourselves from other people and from God. Because the truth is, if you were to really let someone get close, for the first time, truly open up and become exposed to someone to see who the real you is on the inside, not this fake you, what happens if they reject that real you? We couldn't handle it. That would be more than we could physically handle. We would break apart and not know what to do with ourselves. So it's easier for us to push people away because we're ashamed and to cover ourselves up and to hide. And that's why it says they hid amongst the trees. Not only were they ashamed, not only did they cover themselves up, but they still went the distance to distance themselves from everyone around them. See, this fear of exposure causes us to put separation in our relationships and it ruins them from the inside out. But that's just one of the three fears that we see in this story. The second fear I want you to notice is this, the fear of disapproval. It's the fear of disapproval. And in this fear, this fear, it makes us defensive against each other. See, in this fear, it's all about pointing the finger at other people, saying it's your fault. And you hear people make these claims, well, you did this, or you did that. It's moving from this excusing mentality of your behavior to an accusing behavior. It's your fault. And you point the finger, you cast the blame, you do whatever it is to make sure that people know you are not responsible because you don't want to be found bad in anybody's eyesight. You don't want to be disapproving to anybody, no matter where they are or where they come from. And once again, we see this in scripture, right? In verse 12, it says this, the Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. See, Adam totally owned up and took it like a man and blamed his wife, right? That's exactly what we see here. But it's so much more than that. Adam didn't even really blame Eve. Who does he blame? He blames God. He says, God, the woman that you gave me, God, if you hadn't intervened in my life, we wouldn't be in this place right now. If you hadn't stepped in, our relationship wouldn't be broken. So it's your fault that we're in this place now. Ladies, notice that Eve didn't woman up to this either. Eve didn't step up to the plate. What does she say? The Lord God asked her, what have you done? Oh, the serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So Eve blames the serpent. Adam blames Eve and blames God. It's this vicious circle, never ending circle of backbiting and finger pointing and arguing and butting heads with one another. You see the fear of disapproval, it causes us to be defensive with one another. We're always combative against each other and it ruins our relationships. The third fear that we see in this story this morning is this, the fear of losing control. It's the fear of losing control. And this fear, it makes us demanding. You see, the first thing that entered into Adam and Eve's relationship once they sinned was a loss of control. They lost control of their future. 
They lost control of their destiny. They lost control of being able to be in this perfect paradise, this garden of Eden. And the sad reality is the more that you feel like you're losing control, the more controlling you actually become. The more dominating, the more domineering, the more demanding, the more defensive, the more you start bossing everybody around because you want to get your way. Because it's all about you getting your point across. You want to control the other person, oversee them, rule over them. And we see this once again in scripture. It happens in verse 16. God says to Eve, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Your desires will be for power, for control and everything to rule over someone. You see folks, this right here is where the battle of sexes really begins. Right here, all the miscommunication between man and woman, between husband and wife, between male and female, between boyfriend and girlfriend comes back here. All the conflict, all the confusion, the jockeying for power, this bargaining for who gets to do that and who gets to do this, the power for control, who should own this or who should control over this starts in this situation, stems back to this sin because they're afraid of losing control and they start demanding more of each other. And because they're now in this fear, they're butting heads more than ever. This conflict has now arisen in their lives where it's always a lust for power. I don't care what you want anymore. It's about me. I should get my desires. It's all about me. And it creates strife in our relationships and it pushes people away. See, the question that I have to ask this morning, folks, is this. Is this a relationship that you're in? Is there somebody in your life, a spouse, a significant other, maybe even God, a family member, a friend, who you're in this constant state of turmoil where you're always butting heads with one another. You're arguing, you're bickering, you're fighting. You're always trying to get your way because you're afraid of being exposed for who you are. You're afraid that somebody won't approve of you, that they'll actually push you away. And you're afraid of losing control of the situation. Is that where you're at? Because that's not where God wants us to be. God wants us to move from this place of competing with one another to a place of cooperating with one another, where we work together to overcome anything that Satan throws at us to try to ruin our relationships, to break them from the inside out. That's what God wants for our lives. And there's a simple antidote to breaking these fears. And if you don't get anything else from the message this morning, I hope it's this point right here. There's one antidote to break through all of these fears that we face that ruin our relationships. Know what it is? Love. I know it sounds so cliche. It sounds like the typical Sunday answer, but it's so true. We must learn to live in God's love. We have to learn to live in God's love. You know why? Check this out. In 1 John 4, 18, it says this, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid it's for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. You want to break through the fears that are controlling your relationships, that are ruining your life inside and out. You need to get the love of God in the center of your life because the perfect love of Jesus casts out all fear. When you let the love of God into the front door of your heart, fear has to go out the back door because they can't exist in the same household. So it's so important we learn to live in God's love. That sounds great, Matt, but how do we do that? How do I truly learn to live in God's love? Well, I want to give you three practical ways that you can do it as I close this morning. 
three very easy things that you can do every single day to learn to live in God's love. Here's the first one. Every day I surrender. Every day I surrender. What is it that I surrender? My heart. Why do I surrender my heart? Because it's the center of the life and the center of my emotions. And that when I surrender my heart, I'm literally giving my all to God. I do this, that when I wake up, I sit at the edge of my bed before anything else. And I say, God, today I choose to surrender to you. My thoughts, my actions, my deeds, my words, my speech, my heart. God, I give my life to you. Because I know that when I surrender to you, you take control and you fill me with your love. You fill me from the inside out with a love that's so overwhelming that I can't help show it to other people. And so every day we must surrender our hearts to God to be filled so that his desires can rule our lives and not our own desires. The second thing that you can do is every day I remember. Every day I remember. What is it that you remember? Simply it's the ways that God loves you. See, you are going to have a hard time expressing the love of God to others if you've never felt it yourself. It's difficult to be loving and have never been loved in return. So every day we need to remember the ways in which God loves us, the things in which God has told us about how he loves us and what he's done for us. And if you don't know what those are, I'm going to give you four of them really quick. The first one is this. Every day we need to remember that I'm completely accepted. Every day I remember I'm completely accepted because the reality is every single day we fight for approval, approval from our parents, approval from our family, from our peers, from our coworkers, from our boss, from those that we envy. Every day it's a struggle for us, but it doesn't have to be that way because God says he's already won that battle, that you have already been completely accepted into his family. In Titus 3, 7, it says, Jesus made us acceptable to God. What Jesus did on the cross brought us in to an acceptance that's far greater than what the world could ever give to us. So we need to remember that we are completely accepted. The second thing that we should remember every day is that I'm unconditionally loved. I am unconditionally loved. That's what God has to say to you. And we know that there's two characteristics of God's love. It's consistent and it's unconditional. His love for you isn't based upon who you are or what you've done. It's based upon who he is. That's where his love is founded. And he loves you unconditionally. And Isaiah 54, 10, he says, my love for you will never end, says the Lord. He accepts you and he loves you unconditionally. The third thing that we can remember is this, that I am totally forgiven. I am totally forgiven. Believe it or not, but before you were even born, God knew what the worst things that you'd ever do in your life would be. And yet he still chooses to love you. He still chooses to forgive you, even to the point of sending his son to die on the cross for you and for me. And we see this in Romans 8.1. It says, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Your sins have been forgotten. He doesn't rehearse them. He releases them. He forgives you of all of these sins in your life. And the fourth thing that you can remember every day about God's love is that you're considered valuable. It's that I'm considered valuable. When we think about that, what determines something's value or something's worth? Well, it's two factors. First, who owns it? And second, what someone's willing to pay for it. Well, guess what? God created you, therefore he owns you. And you've already been bought at a price because Jesus sacrificed his life so you could live. So your worth isn't found in things of this earth. 
Your worth is found in the Father. Your worth is found in the love of God. So every day we need to remember the ways that God loves us through his acceptance, through his love, through his forgiveness, and through the value that he places on our life. The last thing that we can do every day is this, as I close. Every day I offer. Every day I offer. What is it that we offer? The same love that Christ has shown to us. We offer that to every person that we come in contact with, regardless of who they are or where we meet them or what walk of life they're in. God wants us to extend this love. John 13, 34 says, the love or love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Now I want to end with one scripture this morning that I think summarizes and captivates this all. It comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 7. And it says this, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is what God's love is. This is what true love is. And this is how we break through the fears that exist in our relationships. Let me break that down real quick. Love never gives up. It means it's always extending grace and mercy and forgiveness. No matter what has happened, you're not quick to judge or quick to react. You extend that grace. Love never loses faith. It's always expressing faith, meaning no matter what sins, what faults, what failures, what shortcomings, what breakdowns that we're having right now, I still do not lose that in you. I still do not lose faith in who you are because I believe in us. It says love is always hopeful. It's where you're always saying, even though we have this disconnect, I still hold to the hope that things will get better that things can get better because I believe in us. And last, it says love endures. It means you can throw anything and everything you got at me, but I'm still gonna be here through thick and thin because that's what true love is. I don't know about you, but I needed to hear this message this morning myself. I think every single one of us have people in our lives, whether it be a spouse, significant other, a family member, a relative, coworker, boss, whoever it may be, who we've got these broken relationships with. And God is telling us today that we need to make one change to better these relationships, to break through these fears because we can't always be competing with one another. Like bicyclists, if you're always out there trying to weave in and out and cutting each other off, life is gonna be miserable when you're competing against each other. But when you're working together, you can get through it faster. You can work together to achieve your goal and partner together for the greater good. That's what it's all about. And that's what God wants us to do. So he's challenging us and he's calling us this morning to own up to the fact that things aren't as they should be. And it's time to make a change in our relationships. And if you're ready to make that change, I hope you'd pray this with me as I close this out in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we admit that we've made a mess of relationships. God, that they're complicated, they're broken. God, they're not the best, they're not where they should be. God, we've often settled for less than best and it's time for transformation. God, we'd like to begin this morning by you changing us. God, deliver us from these fears. God, we see how they make us distant and defensive and demanding. And God, today and each day from now on, we want to surrender our hearts to you. God, to learn to live our life filled with your love. God, that we're, we're afraid to let others see the real me, God, and just remind us of how you see us. Not how we see ourselves or how the world sees us, God, but how you truly see us. God, we thank you that you've accepted us completely. 
that you loved us unconditionally, you forgive us totally, and that you paid such a high price to save me. God, help us accept the fact that we need to change and change us from the inside out this morning. We love you. We pray this in your holy name.